If you're anything like me, you spent your childhood assuming that one day you'd meet your Prince Charming. You'd get married, you'd have a nice house in the suburbs, a dog, a career, and a couple of kids. It never crossed your mind that Prince Charming wouldn't come along, or that tragically you'd lose him before his time, or that your marriage wouldn't work out, or even that your biological clock would have other ideas. Or maybe you never really wanted that sort of happily ever after. Maybe you never wanted a man, but you did know you always wanted children. We're living in an age where for the first time, women can embrace motherhood on their own terms. They no longer have to put their lives on hold waiting for the right man, or settling for someone who they know isn't right for them, just so they can become a mother. More women than ever before are embarking on the journey to become what's known as a solo mother by choice. And while for a lot of us it doesn't feel like a choice, but more a necessity, the bottom line is there are now options for you to be able to fulfill your dreams of motherhood if the traditional route isn't playing out as expected. The No Need for Prince Charming podcast will share stories of Australian women who have successfully become solo mothers by choice. They each have a unique story as to why they decided to pursue motherhood in this way and the journey they had to go through to make this dream a reality. The hope is that by sharing these stories, you'll have the knowledge and the confidence to embark on this amazing journey yourself if you determine it's the right one for you. In the words of Walt Disney, all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. All you need is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. On today's podcast, I'm interviewing Sally. She's the youngest solo mum by choice that I've had on the podcast so far, and she embarked on this journey to give a sibling to her older son that she had from a previous relationship. She achieved a hell of a lot while she was trying to get pregnant, so I can't wait for you to hear her story. Let's bring on Sally. Welcome, Sally. So excited to have you on the podcast today and to share your story. Um, just wanted to start out and understand, I guess, your journey. What made you decide to become an SMBC, so solo mum by choice? Yeah, um, so I started, um, I actually have a son with an ex-partner uh, back when I was really young. So I was 20 when I had him. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, so he's now 12. So we're uh, actually only five days apart, uh, our birthdays. So we're super close. Um, so I had him when I was 20. And then obviously that relationship didn't work out, uh, ended quite uh, badly uh, in domestic violence. Oh, and that sort of cemented my decision that I really wanted to be alone. Um, I hadn't initially considered having another child because I did have a really rough pregnancy uh, with my eldest Um, and so I was like no I'll I'll never have kids again (laughs) Um, but then um, I went into doing foster care and I looked after a few children doing foster care Um, How old were you when you were doing foster care? I was 25 when, oh, 24, I think, when I did some foster care. Yeah, so I had a boy for two years wow. um, who lived with me for two years. Yeah, and then um, his sister lived with me up until a couple of months ago. She's 20 now, so I had I had her for a long time. That's um, amazing, wow. Yeah, yeah, so um, we're very close-knit family. Um, and then uh, when I was 20, just before I turned 26, I moved back to Melbourne from Queensland and I was so, sort of said to myself, I need to just go sort out my life now. Now that custody's sorted, I need to go sort out my life and figure out what I'm doing with myself. Yeah. Um, I, I enrolled in uni and then um, I said, I've got to go sort out what's going on because I have PCOS, so polycystic ovaries. Right. Um, and so I never had like a really regular 
period and um, like all these other issues that come along with it. I'm allergic to the pill. I can't take hormones. Um, like I have really bad reactions to all those contraceptive hormones. Um, and the doctor said to me, he's like, your option is a hysterectomy or, um, you know, like basically we're going to make you infertile to make this work because there's nothing else to help you. Nothing else. 26. At 26, yeah, the week wow. before my 26th birthday. That's so um, to be learning that sort of information, isn't it? Wow. It, yeah, definitely. And it was sort of a really time crunch situation um, and I just didn't know what to do and I just cried and I lived with my mum at the time and um, I was just like, I don't know what to do. And she's like, well, why don't you look into like doing it by yourself? Like go fertility, like try an IUI or something. I was like, oh, okay, like let's look into it and figure out some pricing. and Let's just um, throw that um, into yeah. the conversation. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Thanks, Mum. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and that's just sort of the start of what the, the ball rolling from there. And um, we started off with Melbourne IVF and uh, I wasn't too happy with them. So I moved over to City Fertility. Uh, and, yeah, City Fertility, I got through it. <laughs> Brilliant. I have to say I'm yeah. a City Fertility girl as well, so love them right, too. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah, they were great. They really uh, helped me a lot. Um, so I was with St Kilda Clinic mostly um, and then um, the doctors out at Clayton. Um, so, so just as an aside, if anyone is thinking about it, what do you think was the, the main thing for Melbourne IVF that you didn't click with that you'd recommend if anyone else was looking at a clinic? Yeah. What's something that they need to consider? So, the big issue that I had with them was because I was young, I'd only just turned 26 when I first had my appointment with them. They considered my reasons because I'd had a child before. I wasn't technically infertile. Right. I just had polycystic ovaries, which caused issues with me now having a child. Um, and because I was 26, I was considered socially infertile because I was single and choosing. Um, and so they had to take the decision to a panel to approve it. And I just, on principle, was not very happy with that. Right. Um, and then there was going to be a big wait list as well with Melbourne IVF um, on sperm donors. Like their wait lists are crazy. Um, and when I went to City Fertility, there was no wait list. They didn't have to like take anything to a panel to approve me for it, uh, anything like that. It was much simpler to go through. And cost-wise, it was cheaper as well. Well, that's always important, but it sounds like kind of gut feel you felt more comfortable there as well, which I think for anyone listening, if you've got something in your gut and you're at a, at a clinic and it's not sitting right for you, you've got to spend so much time there and see those people so often during this journey. You want to be somewhere where you feel really comfortable. For sure, for sure. And I felt a little judged because I was younger and I was choosing to do this big step and everything. And like, we hadn't even got to like the counselling part of things yet. It was just like the receptionist telling me, oh no, we're going to send this to the a panel. I was like, oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So yeah, that was uh, why I went to City Fertility. Yeah. Um, I started my journey with IUI um, because I wasn't technically infertile. Um, I'd had several operations like dnc's and that sort of stuff investigating operations i'd probably have one every year for about five years um, and that was mainly related to your pcos yes yeah, yeah yeah i had a lot of cysts um that were bursting so they were doing a lot of cleaning out of that as well um you poor thing also. Yes, a lot of fun in my early 20s. Um, so then um, I started with IUI. The first one didn't work. My second one I did the next month straight after and that one did work. Um, and then I unfortunately lost my little guy at 20 weeks. He had some other severe complications that went on. Um, 
but city fertility throughout that whole process as well were absolutely amazing as well they were so supportive through everything um and then I went back for a few more IUI rounds because I was like, surely the next one will be fine. Um, and then nothing happened. I did five in total and I didn't get pregnant again. So then I moved on to IVF. And with all your IUIs, were they medicated as well or just more natural? Yeah. They're all medicated. Yeah, no, all were quite heavily medicated just because like when my period starts, it sort of is a false start. Um, and then I can go for like six weeks and it's like, where's the real line in there right. uh, to figure out when it's actually happening and then when the actual ovulation's happening. So it was all really hard to sort of gauge for where I was at in my cycle. And how did you feel saying, okay, that's the end of IUI. I'm going to move on to IVF now. It was really hard. Um, I was in uni at the time. So I re-enrolled in uni. I was smashing out a diploma and bachelor at the same time. And <laughs> overachieving. Um, oh, it was, it was insane. I think back to it now, I'm just like, how did I actually do this? Because I was doing uni during the day, four days a week. I was working night times in a hotel. I had the two boys, um, my foster child and my son uh, at home with my parents. Every night I was doing like 80 hour fortnights just insane amounts of work um I'm tired so, just um, thinking about your life so yeah. <laughs> yeah um so then when the doctor's like no we're not going to do any more IUIs I was like oh god like it's so expensive now like it, IUIs were just like little bits of money at a time and I was like okay now I've really got to like settle down think about what you know going forward and I was like okay this will this will be better obviously there's better percentages with uh IVF as well um I took a trip to London for two weeks on a study tour with um with my uni and I felt really guilty about that because I invested a bit of money into doing that even though it was on the cheaper side I, I felt really guilty about spending that money and not putting that towards having a baby as well um but yeah I moved to IVF and that was really good like it was I think the scariest thing for me was the needles and having to inject myself. I was really worked up over doing that because um, I'd had the nurses do all my other ones for my IUI. Um, but then my friend come and sat with me and helped me do the first one. And I was like, oh, that was actually fine. Oh, I don't know why I was so worked up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So we moved on to IVF. Was it just one round that you had to go through? Yeah. Um, I just did one round. Yep. So um, I did one egg collection. I got 18 eggs. Wow. Um, I threw yeah, I froze half. I had a lot of, I had like something like 50 follicles or something, which is standard for polycystic ovaries as well. Um, so he's but like, I yeah, think I only got like follicles. eight if I was lucky and I was so bloated yeah. and painful after that round. So I can uh, only imagine yeah, how fifty went to, oh, ow. Definitely, yeah. I overstimulated, felt like I was walking with eggs between my legs for ages. I was really sick afterwards as well. They're like, go to the hospital if you start throwing up. I was like, I'm already there. Um so yeah, um, I did a frozen uh, embryo transfer back in a couple of months after uh, the egg collection. Um, so was that and- needed because you had overstimulation yeah, or was yeah. that always a plan? It was just the yeah, no, that, that was because I overstimulated. They said if uh, they were to put the embryo back in straight after that I would end up in hospital for up to like 10 weeks because it continues the overstimulation essentially. Okay. Yeah. So um, yeah, I had that put back in. Must have been April. He was born in Jan, so whatever that nine month is. Um, and um, yeah, it worked the first time. And I was like, oh, I couldn't believe it. Like it was just, it was really sort of like touch wood because like I'd lost my previous little boy. And I was like, just, you know, after loss, you're always sort of on edge about what's going to happen for the next pregnancy. Um, I was going to so, say, how did you yeah. feel during? Because I know what I was like after my son and going through pregnancy after loss. Yeah. A lot of anxiety and especially with those kind of milestones of when I'd lost my son as well. 
and yeah, if you're not feeling definitely. the move yet and that sort of thing so how did you find that yeah uh really hard so i had ultrasounds every two weeks because my i lost my son because he had uh spina bifida as well as heart complications and uh brain complications as well wow. so um yeah it was just a really intense so we had a lot of uh, monitoring to make sure that uh angus my now three-year-old uh didn't have the same issues uh because the percentage of my risk had increased from already having one, even though it was a fluke, there was no genetic reason why it had happened. Um, so yeah, a lot of monitoring, a lot of anxiety. I really did struggle, um, especially like the first three months after I had him as well. I really struggled uh, with postnatal depression and anxiety. I didn't connect with him very well. Um, so I was put into like a, um, like our council runs like some classes for therapy with uh, other mums that are also struggling. So that was really helpful. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, so yeah, I definitely really struggled coming to terms with it and the guilt I felt of having a healthy baby and, um, and, you know, not bringing home my other baby. And yeah, it was yeah really hard. Did you go public or private for your pregnancy care? Public. Public. And yeah, so, so that's great. So you were deemed as high risk and they got you to have all those scans every two weeks. That's yeah, yeah. That yeah they were amazing. Cool. Yeah, for sure. I think I only paid for maybe one scan um, and that was just a 3D one, like a specialist one that was sort of in that in-between period. Um, but everyone else, I they put me through the hospital system for it. Yeah. And I guess it's hard to compare what it was like with your, your first pregnancy with your now 12-year-old because you did have that loss in the middle there that kind of, I guess, would have be affecting yeah. you a lot more. So you can't even think what was it like first time because you'd be so anxious based on the Exactly. And like the pregnancies were very different. Like with my eldest, I was very sick. I had a lot of morning sickness. I was in hospital a majority of the time throughout that pregnancy as well because I lost so much weight and I couldn't eat and I couldn't stop throwing up. Um, it got less with each pregnancy I had. So I wasn't as sick with each one, but still reasonably sick. Um, so yeah, that like Riley's one was the one that turned me off the most, my 12 year old. So <laughs> I was like, oh, I guess like, you know, each one's got its own perks, I guess. <laughs> so that's wonderful. So, you know, you've got your healthy little, little bubba now. Well, yeah, not bubba anymore, is it? Three. <laughs> no, he's a crazy little three-year-old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So great that you your council ran those sessions so you could get that support during that postpartum depression because I know a lot of other solo mums who do go through the postpartum depression and because they're by themselves, they find it so much harder as well. So wonderful to know that there are sort of support groups and things like that out there. If you, I think the hardest thing is identifying it in yourself to actually ask for help though, isn't it? And once yes, you definitely. Point, and I think it's something because I had uh, PTSD from losing my son as well. Um, it's something that I knew was going to be a big trigger I did have it minorly with my eldest so I knew like there was a really good chance that I was going to get it as well so my mum was aware and um, the maternal child health nurses were really great about it and that's what helped get me into those groups with them that's so good and were you staying with your mum when you had him yeah so um yeah I moved in with mum um probably just after I lost Alfie um and then we've now bought a house together so um, yeah, we live together permanently. <laughs> She's stuck with us. <laughs> <laughs> that, so that's quite an interesting arrangement. So it's your your twelve year old, your three year old, your mum, you, 
Yep. And there's also my sister and my brother that live here because we live on quite a large property. So it's got like different houses on the property. Um, so yeah, like my mum and I are together with the kids in the house, my brother and my sister on their own houses down the back of the property. So you've just made your own little village, haven't you? Exactly, exactly. Like, yeah, we've gone back to, you know, like the Stone Ages where we all, all live together in a community. <laughs> so how have you found that? Like, with obviously, hopefully that's giving you lots of support and babysitting and because I'm assuming you've finished your qualifications now or yep. you're still going? Yeah, or? yep. No, all finished up. So I finished that um, just when I found out I was pregnant with Angus. So I finished all that up. Um, so that's been great. And I'm now working as a state manager in children's events. Um, so that's been amazing. Uh, the support wise has been fantastic because when I had Riley in Queensland, we were there for like six years. We didn't have any support. It was just me and him. Um, and mum and, and my dad as well. And my brother and sister have all like had missed out on so much of Riley's life. We're only seeing him for every, you know, once every six months or so when we yeah. fly down to see each other. Um, so mum really like just took to it um, and just adored was Angus like she and she says to me she's like she does say it's it's a different relationship for what she has with Angus than what she does have with Riley because she's just so close with Angus and has been there from day dot and you know has done done the late night feedings with me and you know changed him and everything like that so it's definitely different and Angus is very spoiled for choice for everything because he's just that he doesn't know any different (laughs) lucky (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah so I guess one thing we didn't cover while we were talking about your conception journey is how you found choosing your donor so obviously yes. there's different donors between IUI and IVF because based on their, the sperm quality depends on what they go to. So did you find that different? Did you have the same donor for all your IUIs? You know, how did you go through all that process? Yeah. Um, so I had the same donor for both IUI and for my IVF. Oh. Um, because, yes. Um, it was a special case because uh, Alfie, my son that I lost, uh, because he was actually born alive, which was very rare for what we went through, um, it was considered a family unit so they let me continue to use the same donor Um, so I was able to purchase more of the same straw uh, which is great Um, so yeah I use the same one I chose my donor um, if I could go back now if I wasn't in such a rush of to get through fertility to have a baby for my situation um, I would have chosen a known donor I would have tried to find someone within my circle of friends or something like that or done some more research into a known donor Um, so I would have done that differently Uh, But the donor I have did choose, um, I went based off like sort of looks, what I felt would look like similar to my family, because there's no pictures, obviously, uh, with the ones that we have in Victoria. Um, But it was just height, weight, sort of hair colour, eye colour that I figured would match what our family is like we've all got really tall guys in our family they're all over six foot so I knew that yeah this guy was over six foot so I was like yep that's that that'll fit in nicely you know same sort of build uh hair and eye color all and he does look different like my eldest son is a spitting image of me and I was sort of expecting to have another clone um, and then Angus came out and I was like, he looks nothing like me. I was like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> but my friends say he does look like me. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> so that's really interesting that you now say that you'd rather use a known. Do you think that that's possibly because you know the father of your first child and that sort of changes the situation? A little bit. Yeah. Um, there's a few factors into it. Um, it part 
was that Riley does see his dad on school holidays. So he flies up to Queensland every school holidays to see his dad. And uh, now that Angus is getting older, they video call a lot. So um, when Riley's on a video call, Angus often jumps on and he's like, oh, hi, grandma, to Riley's paternal grandmother, um, which is really cute. And she's, you know, she's been really lovely and has like chatted to him and, you know, lets him call her grandma, which is beautiful. Um, The other thing was I hadn't considered at the time, which was really bizarre that I hadn't because it was my own situation. Um, I had an older half-brother that I never met until I was in year seven uh, from my dad's first marriage that we didn't really know anything about and then discovered him sort of later. He moved down to live with us when he was 19 and I was in year seven. Um, So it was like a seven-year age gap between us. And then he ended up passing away when he was 26. So I really felt like there was like a der moment like why didn't I think of that like now you know and I know that uh he has other you know siblings from the donor's side out there that have been conceived through city fertility um I asked for a list and you know they give you the uh, gender and year that they were born so there's at least five others out there at the moment that are all sort of in that similar age range and I just I'm so family orientated like you know we live with everyone like I accept sort of everyone, like my friends and my family are so important to me. So I'm like always like the more the merrier sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so I just know and like I've done a lot of research into that now, like now that I've thought more about it into the donor conceived, you know, perception of what they would like out of their life and, you know, their rights and that sort of thing. And I know it's not everyone, but there's, a, you know, a large voice for saying that there shouldn't be anonymous donors or open access. 18 donors as well so which I understand and I respect because now that I thought about it and I went back through my life I was like yeah well I guess I've sort of been in a situation where my sibling was withheld from me and then he died so it really hit home for me um so that's probably the one thing I would do differently so how do you think moving forward when Angus starts asking more questions about who his father is how you'll deal with that and if he wants to make contact earlier because that's one of the things with the laws and um in Victoria anyway, that it's quite heavily regulated. So you can actually approach the donor earlier and if they're interested, can have earlier that connection. Do you think that's something you'll pursue? Yeah, so I have started. Um, I have applied to be on the volunteer register. So I am listed on that currently and we are the first of the siblings that are on that. And I have started the process as well to uh, ask for identifying information information as well from the donor and potential and siblings also so um I'm fingers crossed you know I'm positive I'm putting it out there obviously not all parents are as open in wanting that sort of connection either and I totally understand that everyone has their own point of view on that and you know want to raise their families how they want to raise them without sort of outside influence or anything like that so I understand that I'm just putting the feelers out there and hopefully I get a few bites and someone will be like yeah let's like meet up and the kids can meet and it'll be beautiful yeah I think it's one of those things anyone going into a situation where you're having a child through a donor that you just have to be aware that you know the child will potentially most likely want to meet their siblings at some point and it's yeah exactly whether you start doing the pre-work now so when they are ready for that that it makes it easier or whether you wait for them there's just there's a lot of extra complicating things that you have to worry about that um it's it's a lot of dynamics yeah yeah for sure and like we talk about like uh being donor conceived already like we've got a lot of the books like the peers me that's a great one that he loves reading and a few other ones as well so we talk about it a bit he's not 
I guess doesn't have the grasp of it or the understanding and it's not like everyday conversation but we do talk about it and he'll get there eventually and understand the background of it all. And how about your older son? So he would obviously know that Angus yeah. has been conceived and how does he talk about it or how does he think about it? Yeah, so he was very involved in everything up until I lost Alfie. Um, so he was um, knew the ins and outs. Like he went to school one day and he was in grade two, I think it was. He's like, I know how babies are made. And everyone's like, no, 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 don't say that. <laughs> like, no, my mum's doing IVF. And they're like, oh, okay, right. <laughs> um, so, how they're all made. Um, Nobody has to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, so he was very involved. Um, and I explained very extensively the whole process and that sort of thing and what it meant. And he always wanted me to have another sibling for him as well um on his dad's side he has quite a few different siblings also um so because he, he's with me majority of the time it was always like me and him like it's either mum when are you getting married or mum when are you having a baby I was like let's go the baby way <laughs> baby's easier um, yeah yeah um so he came into labor with me with Angus as well so he was there oh, for wow. all of that and yeah not that he cared because he played on his iPad the whole time he was like oh cool like you had a baby well done <laughs> so um but yeah we're, like the moment he held Angus he was the first person that got to hold him after me and it was just like beautiful he cried he's like oh my god he's here like he, he got closure as well from Alfie and yeah it was really beautiful oh I'm gonna cry here and there that's beautiful <laughs> oh. yeah special <laughs> so I think what you know now so obviously you think that you'd probably do a known donor if you could turn back time is there anything else that's different from how you thought it would be when you went into this journey or is it kind of panned out exactly yeah. how you thought or better or um, I know a bit about IVF or like the fertility side of things because I had an aunt that went through it when I was a teen. So I sort of was prepared a little bit for it. Um, I guess what I didn't fully expect was how grueling it can be. Like it feels endless at some mm -hmm. points, um, especially when it's like a negative after a negative and you're just like so hopeful and the two week wait's just the killer. And it's not even just the two week wait. It's like dealing with the aftermath as well. Like, okay, well now we've got to start again and it's another hard slog for another, you know, six weeks to figure out what's going on and the appointments and everything. So I felt it was just very draining and like it was a busy time of my life as well. Like I, I only slightly. I, yeah. I thrive on chaos. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah. Everyone's like, Oh wow. You're mental. But um, yeah, I thrive on chaos. So it was a very busy time of my life and we're trying to achieve so many things and uh, still being quite young as well. So um, it was definitely, yeah, mentally, I think was, you know it's going to be hard but you can't prepare for that sort of mental hardness yeah yeah is there something you think you could have done differently now knowing what you know for that time because yeah you, you hope it's all going to happen on the first time and a lot of people are lucky and one IUI and they're pregnant and they live happily ever after but for a lot of us it's not that mm. any I advice you could give to sort of like maybe prepare people or some tips I don't know which yeah I, I think the one thing was I didn't really look into the communities like single mums by choice. I didn't really look into that much before I ha had Angus, which I really wish I had because there's so many people out there like on Instagram as well, especially just posting about their journeys con constantly, which I didn't really have. I felt quite alone doing it. Um, and I sort of wish I'd ventured more into that because it would have just helped me see like, oh, so not alone. There's so many women out there doing this for you know for one month up to years and years trying and I think that support really helped me after I had Angus but I wish I'd sort of had it beforehand so I think yeah looking for that would have been better yeah 
And now you've got them um, life as a solo mum. Obviously, you've got a really awesome support network around you. Yeah. Is it what you thought it would be? Is it different? Is it? Yeah, it's um, he's a crazy child. So <laughs> I was um, really unprepared for this one. <laughs> I was like, I've done it before. It'll be fine. He's a nut job. Um, so <laughs> he's really funny. He's a little character. He's very full on. Um, and I think I was, you know, being nearly 10 years older than what I was when I had Riley that sort of hit me like my age got me and I'm not even that old I was 29 when I had him <laughs> I was gonna I was say like, oh most of us are like in late 30s early 40s <laughs> yeah, or whatever the first one so <laughs> exactly yeah and it just got me and I was like oh my gosh he's full on but um having the support was definitely amazing and I think you know I did have a picture in my head that we'd be doing this and I'd finish my degree and everything and things would start falling into place and they certainly did um, I didn't think I'd buy a house with mom I thought I'd sort of venture out on my own but I knew I'd only be renting at that point as well I knew I'd probably never afford a, a place on my own um, so I was really happy to sort of get into the housing market that way as well so that's been really good um, but yeah everything's sort of yeah going quite well um, and pretty yeah positive yeah so I guess the one thing that most people do sort of question while they're going into this journey and what they worry about the most is finances. Obviously you had a bit of an expensive journey doing five IUIs and one IVF. Is there any tips or advice you would give anyone for how to prepare for that or how you're yeah. finding financial the situation now that you're by yourself? Yeah. Um, so I was pretty lucky because um, my expenses were quite minimal living with my mum that um, I was able to save a bulk amount of my income from working. Um, so that was super helpful. And obviously I'm so grateful to them. Like I was talking to my dad about it the other day. I was like, I realized like I went to work from five to like maybe midnight, one o'clock in the morning. I'm like, you were doing the nighttime routine with the kids, like a majority of the weekdays, like so grateful for how that put me in front and being able to save all that money to do my journey. Um, and then uh, when we got to the IVF sort of phase, um, I qualified for obviously the uh, Medicare rebates for that as well. So I knew I'd only have to pay for sort of half of the IVF cycle. Um, so I'd saved part of that. Uh, my mum and dad gave me the other part of that. And then I just reimbursed them when the Medicare reimbursed me back. So again, very lucky. And not everyone is in that situation either where they've got someone that can just hand them a big lump sum of money. Um, but yeah, very lucky in that regard. Now, um, finally working in an amazing job that I really love and, you know, worked hard to get here as well and buying a house and everything. I was really stressed because we went into COVID as soon as sort of it was yep. two years ago. And, and it was just like, what am I going to do? Like, I've just got this amazing job and I can't do it because no one's having kids parties in COVID. Um, <laughs> it was very stressful. We just bought the house and we're like, okay, well, the government bought out the funding for, you know, helping everyone that was out of work, which was helpful. Um, and yeah, it's just been sort of taking a step back, reevaluating what I need and I don't need a lot. Um, and, you know, I did things like uh, cloth nappies. I did them from the get-go. So I wasn't buying nappies. Uh, I did breastfeed, but I had a lot of struggles breastfeeding as well. But that also helped. Um, and just trying to cut down on things I did not need and excesses in my life as well. Take it back to the bare basics. If I didn't need to do it on a regular basis, then it just got cut. Yeah, really paired back my expenses so that I could save. And it, even during COVID, I saved a lot of money. So 
um, that's always been really important to me to have a bit of a nest egg there for us. And we like to go on holidays. Like we go on a holiday nearly every six months or so just to, whether it's a weekend away or we're actually going to Hawaii in June for <gasps> mine and Riley's birthday for two I'm weeks. I'm so, so jealous. Yeah. So I'm super excited for that. Yeah. Just having that savings and, you know, if we have to go without, then we go without for a little bit and, you know, the kids have everything that they need and they're not lacking so that's just the luxury things that we go without when we need to yeah so I guess the biggest thing for you that has allowed this journey is the fact that you moved from Queensland back to Victoria and that you've got Definitely. a lot more options to be able to help with the financial situation and the the care and those other things as well so for sure for really sure. good move Definitely. <laughs> yes for sure like um I was up in Queensland from when I turned 18 to just before my I was about 25 and a half or so. Uh, we moved back and that was purely based because custody had settled and um, things had been come to an agreement. Um, so, yeah, when we moved back, it was completely unexpected. We didn't, I never thought I'd ever be able to move back um, and that we would ever come to that sort of agreement. But, um, yeah, it was just sort of, it blew everyone's mind in the whole family because it had been so long. So um, that support was just, everyone was like all in. Like when they knew I needed something, they were just all in for everything, which has been amazing. And, you know, I was sick during pregnancy. Someone else is picking up the kids. I was working during fertility. Someone else is looking after the kids. So there's always, it's never been like me on my own. And I always feel like that's really important to say to other people, like not everyone's going to have my sort of family support either, yeah. but um, there's, other people that can help you as well you know my friends are amazing and they're always super supportive for, for me as well and will help out if I need help and um you know I always say I'll find someone on my son's basketball team that I can relate to and I'll latch onto them and we'll be like okay let's trade kids when we need to and you know help each other do carpooling and stuff like that like there's always someone in one little friendship group that I can find and be like okay you can be my person and we'll be each other's person <laughs> Great advice. I'm going to steal that for daycare. Yeah. I've got my daycare person. I'll yes, offer that yes, for when she so starts handy. school and other things as well. So important. I think it's always great to have that one or two other parents there, whether they're, you know, single or just another parent that your kid gets along with really well. It's just so helpful to have them as backup and be like, hey, running 10 minutes late. Can you just grab him from school and I'll come and pick him up afterwards and whatnot. So, yeah, it's not just about family. It's, yeah, other people out there. Cool. So just go out of your way to make those connections. You yeah, might never know yeah. when you need them. Yeah, exactly. And I say that from uh, a perspective of I'm not an overly social mum. Like I will sit in my car at school pickups and not get out of my car. Like my <laughs> kids will come to me. So, you know, it's just making that tiny little effort to make those connections and value them, I guess. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. You've just blown me away by how <laughs> you managed to manage not only, you know, an older son, but also the foster kids and went through IVF while you were studying and working and you went through obviously a lot of rounds of treatment plus the loss of your second son and pregnancy after loss and now you're just absolutely smashing it with everything you do you're total inspirations I think to so many people who'll be listening to this and I'm sure there's some part of your story they'll resonate with so thank you so much for taking the time to share with me tonight is thank there anything you. else you'd like to say just to anyone else considering this journey on parting just keep on going like you eventually get there and, you know, something good will come out of it regardless. Like whether it's, you know, you're getting your baby at the end of the rainbow or something else that's positive comes out of it, you're a stronger person at the end regardless. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time, Sally. Thank you. Chat soon. 
Wow, what an absolute inspiration. Sally set her mind to something and she did everything within her power to make that happen. She let nothing get in her way, including studying and working full-time. The fact that she has foster children and just the amazing village that she has created, I'm in awe. I hope you enjoyed her story as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. I'm Alicia, and this is the No Need for Prince Charming podcast, bringing you stories of Australian solo mums who created their own happy ending. If you like what you heard, please follow or subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes and leave a like or review or share with your friends to help others find it easier. Bye for now.